0: This is the new TC Pride Podcast Episode 110, on location at Lush, for reflections on the early 2000s of Twin Cities Pride. DC Pride podcast, we are on location at Lush in Minneapolis for a very special episode uh, of the podcast that I'm kind of calling uh, unofficially the old white cis gay guys of, <laughs> of Twin Cities Pride or the old guard. The guys who used to run the show. And and the reason that, that that we're doing this is because recently we talked to Darcy Bauman, the, the current uh, chair of the Twin Cities Pride board. And, and it seems recently, I guess, and, and throughout the, the duration of the podcast, uh, you guys have been brought up in one form or another Um, And when it comes to sort of talking about the history of the organization and kind of how we got to where we are uh, today. So I wanted to give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. Um, Also kind of to talk about uh, the world that you guys kind of walked into when when we first kind of started uh, Twin Cities Pride and its current kind of iteration um, in the form that, that it's in now. Um, and uh, to kind of talk about, uh, you know, how, how you feel about uh, how things have progressed and maybe where things um, should be going based on that historical context. So that's enough from me. Let's go around the circle here. Uh, can you please introduce yourself to the Twin Cities Pride podcast community? Uh,
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Bill Neighbour, and I was on the Pride Board for 13 years starting in the fall of 1998. I served as Public Relations Director for eight years and then as its chair for a handful of years that uh, David will probably remember the number better than I.
2: (laughs) I'm David Hill. Uh, I also joined that same night in October of 1998. I served one year as Fund Development Director Served just shy of a decade as the secretary of the board and my final year in 2008, 2009 was as the chair of the board.
3: And I'm Eric Zimmerman. Um, I joined in Pride around 99, 2000. Um, Bill uh, introduced me to Pride and I, ended, I was we were workmates and so uh, we uh, worked during the day, talked about Pride during the day. And, you know, in our spare time we worked on Pride. Um, I worked on, the, on a lot of technology as well as Bill, and uh, he kind of got me into more of the, um, the main help desk, server side, all that stuff for technology for Pride. Um, I'm currently still with Pride, and um, uh, greatly reduced role, um, mainly because we've grown so much and we've got quite a few other hands now. Um, so currently, I just handle the technology, um, the, the setup for the computers and whatnot for the festival, and maintain some of the stuff in the office. So.
0: Awesome. So I wanted to mention too, people might have heard the traffic rolling by behind you here. So it is rush hour, and uh, we're outside on Lush's beautiful patio. This is actually one of my favorite places to record in the city. I've recorded a ton of podcasts here, a, couple, a bunch of uh, episodes already. Um, so if anybody hears sort of like the traffic going on in the background, that's, that's what that is. Uh, thank you to Lush for allowing us to, to be back here on the beautiful patio today. Um, but uh, yeah, so so a couple of you guys mentioned. I mean, nine, the '90s. I mean, it's been 20 years, guys. I mean, and so I, I wanted to ask you guys about uh, kind of the world that that you walked into, how things were different then than they are now, and, and kind of what it was like operating um, in in that uh, in that paradigm.
2: Uh, just start with me. Um, I joined the board in part because at, at the time in '98. Pride had been experiencing some financial difficulties. They had just come off of a major loss. They were kind of reorganizing and and uh, you know trying to find their footing again. And then I felt that I had a skill set that might be able to help. So I said, well, well, sure. Well, you know, let's let's go find out what this is all about. And bumped into Bill, who I had known for a few years previous, and uh, we wound up going to the meetings together and uh, joining the board on the same night.
1: Yeah, I uh, was a volunteer at Pride in the Pride of 98 and got involved that way. I got to meet some of the people that were running it at the time, including Dan Dempsey, who was the treasurer then. And he's the one who encouraged me after Pride to continue to be involved and come to the meeting. So I did. And it was just happenstance. I bumped into David that night. I didn't know he was going to be there. Um, And found myself uh, getting signed up. I started out as the public relations director, and I knew nothing about public relations, although I knew I liked to get in front of cameras. That was kind of fun. So I went to some trainings. Pride sent me to some uh, GLAAD, Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation trainings that they had done, and figured out from some of my coworkers at work. I worked at an ad agency that had a PR uh, effort under it, and so I talked to some of my colleagues there and became somewhat of an amateur PR guy and kind of learned... A little bit at a time.
0: Yeah, and Eric, You said that uh, that that you and Bill met uh, as workmates, right? So you guys used to talk about Pride on company time. So we won't say who who that employer was, but they were kind of unofficially Pride's first uh, corporate sponsor.
3: Yes, actually. Um uh they inadvertently um and then later on more blatantly um donated computers to pride. Um it was um it was uh computers that uh you know we were retired and about to be recycled and we were able to revive them and use them for pride for a year or two and
0: Yay Tech industry. Exactly.
3: And then um later on we, you know, approached management asking, you know, would you be willing to, you know, donate some of your lesser uh, less old computers, some of the newer ones, um, and they were happy to oblige. And, um, they also, um, I, well, no, I think that was it. I think it was just, uh, the computers and stuff. And then they, well, they did allow us to spend some of our company time working on the computers at the office at, at the ad agency. Yeah,
0: And, and what was it like for you kind of walking, you came, you came along a couple years later. What, what, what was the world like that you were walking into at the time?
3: So when I started, um, It was uh, it was interesting because we um, we're way different than we are now. We um, we're just a a board um, that meets at a either a hotel or a community center or something like that or a bar. Um, You know that bar off of uh, there was a bar off of Hennepin for quite a while that we went to. um, That's no longer there anymore. Kind of a motel room kind of bar. Quality and Quality I think is what yeah. If you if you guys if you guys know the tracks Bar across from Menards in St. Paul, it looked a lot like that. Okay. And uh, um, so we didn't have an office. You know, we were mobile. We were you know we're a virtual office. We had to work from home, um, and so uh, it became you know since this was the beginning of the two thousand you know era, we had to start moving in that way. For technology we had to get a decent email server and that kind of thing to you know work from home and communicate with one another when we weren't on those board meetings and um, it uh, I, I saw lots of changes I saw going from no office to having an office I got saw from no staff to having paid staff um, to where we are now where we have uh, a mishmash of lots of different people Lots of different backgrounds. Um, I'm really happy to see that we have a lot more inclusion and diversity now, um, and uh, we've we've come a long ways. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know we talked about that with Darcy, um, how you know the board does have a different demographic makeup uh, than it did back then. Um, th- there there was a lot of work done by you guys initially. I think Eric, you just alluded to some of like the the technological uh, stuff that's still in place uh, today. Um, what, what was it like, uh, back then as far as sort of establishing that, uh, I guess the, some of the structure that still exists today? We, uh... One of our bigger efforts, I would say, when David
1: and I were new on the board for the first year or two, was to try and bring um, some more professionalism to the organization. And I don't say that in any way to cast dispersion on those who were running it up to that point, because it was an organically growing group that began very informally. And so we brought certain skill sets to the table and wanted to kind of formalize some of the things that we did and just bring more professionalism to it, whether it be branding ourselves and the way we present ourselves to the public, who we have talking to the public and things like that so we spent a good deal of effort on some things like that and then eventually a fairly large reorganization that David and I both worked on but it was really more him uh, than me I would say where we created this structure where we had not just our board members but a team of volunteer staff that was part of us all year round that we called coordinators and each coordinator was attached to one of the directors on the board so they formed like a little department because back then the board was uh, what we would call an operational board it 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 had functional operational duties that it did so the festival was overseen by a festival manager a festival director that sat on the board public relations had a public relations director on the board and so on and so those people needed needed help to to do that and we wanted to create a, an official way for people to be part of it and to Expand the opportunity for people to get involved by giving them a title and giving them an email address and all of that so that they had some, you know, some cred when they went and talked to, whether it be vendors or just the community. Mm -hmm. And I think that worked out pretty well until we grew to a point where we couldn't really grow anymore Mm -hmm. in that structure because we were burning people out so quickly. And maybe I'll let David take it from from there on what we did next with... Leave leave me with
2: the burning. So, yeah, we went from a you know up till about 2006 we were a working board so i was the secretary during the board meetings and i was kind of the behind the scenes administrative person during the rest of the year and then during the festival i was their traffic controller for the festival so i was on a radio office manager yeah i was the office manager it was like you know for you know from when the festival opened to when the festival closed i was there with a the radio in my hand telling people what to do you know go there do this thing um,
1: out of the flower garden. Get out of the flower garden. <laughs>
2: um, so in 2006, um, and one, one of the things as part of this whole um, getting more organized bit is we started holding retreats both at the end of the festival season to uh, kind of look back and say, okay, what worked well? What do we want to do next year? What didn't work well? What could we possibly do to replace it? And we also did one kind of at the beginning of the season to kind of organize ourselves and, you know, do some team building stuff and, 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 and build a budget and kind of all that, that, that fun stuff. In 2006, we decided to, uh, that, you know, we'd reached kind of our limit we were burning people out, you know, I think, you know, we, we were, we were kind of mid burnout, I think, or at least I was, um, (laughs) I admit it now. Um, we needed something to change and that's when we decided we needed to bring in a a professional who could run the day-to-day operations of the organization and that started a process where we hired our first executive director uh, who was originally tasked primarily with sponsorship because we wanted to raise our level of sponsorship so we could grow grow our our bank balance and be able to you know take on more stuff as an organization
1: we had to pay for her salary, too, yeah. which was a new expense on our budget I mean, that it's year. Not an
2: insignificant expense. I mean, you're talking, you know, a lot of money. A lot of money. Um, for us. You know,
1: it, She wasn't getting rich. I don't mean to give that impression by any stretch of the means. It was actually quite a modest salary, but for our overall budget, it was a significant new um, obligation. So, we did not take it lightly. It was multiple years actually of discussion before we got there.
0: Yeah, you know, we even talked to, to Darcy about how, like, often, I mean, in fairness, it sounds like you guys were doing the best you could. I mean, with the experience that you had, with the resources you had, oftentimes organizations will start off that way. It's, it's just a bunch of people who care about X, Y, Z and get together and figure out how to make it happen. So, I mean, so Eric, you, you were around like when all this what was happening for, for the most part. I mean, what was it like being part of that, that staff that was kind of trying to make things happen? <laughs> Uh, when this
3: first came up, I hated it. I did not like it at all. Um, I, I, I just didn't, I'm, I'm back then I was very adverse to change. I guess I could say, um,
0: which is often a challenge with the organization. It
3: really is. And you know, you just, you get used to the way things are, but then I did also understand that, you know, we did need to grow and we did need to change and we needed a mechanism for that. and so, because my first thought is, well, how in the world? You know, we're a volunteer organization, nonprofit. What we make goes into paying our bills for what we did and what we can do next year. How in the world are we going to pay a salary for an executive director? You know, it just, I just didn't understand. And... Um, And then later on, um, after we got an executive director, we were moving into switching from a a working board into a board and a working staff. And uh, that took a lot of getting used to, yet again. And so, but, uh, you know, what what I thought about it is, I think I'll just go ahead and just see how things turn out. Yeah, you know
0: what's what's really cool is that you kind of represent kind of the, the person in an organization that's been around for a long time, and maybe at first was kind of hesitant to some of the change and progress is being made in the organization, but you stuck it out, and you were able to see the the positive changes that that came um, of of those ideas and of that uh, of that initiative at, at the time.
3: And in, in in hindsight, I can't imagine um, doing it any other way. I mean, um, we there there is no way to continually grow and make an organization successful unless you're willing to accept new ideas and kick them around a bit, see if they're going to work, you
1: know. And, and, you know, Eric's point of view on all of that, he wasn't the only one that felt that way back, back in those days. This was highly controversial among our board and our larger team, because while we were kind of burning each other out at an insane rate, we were pretty tight and we knew most of the people had been around for quite a while and and this in some ways to some people represented a division where the board took on a different kind of role that wasn't so operational and I think and Eric I don't want to put words into your mouth but your and my friendship is a good example of that because I was a board member and you were staff and that this change I was concerned would kinda have a negative effect on our friendship in a way that we wouldn't be as close because we wouldn't be working together as much but I don't think it worked out that way
3: it certainly didn't what I what I appreciated about that is I had a window into the other side I was able to talk yeah exactly through you because I was able to talk to you and get your thoughts about it um, and vice versa you were able to hear the concerns of you know staff and that kinda stuff Um, so it did put myself at ease for a lot of that, and helped me realize. Well, I'll just wait and see what happens.
0: You know. Yeah. So, so we've also talked uh, on the podcast about you know the subtle sort of differences between like a working board and a governing board, et cetera, et cetera. Before we started recording here, you were talking about how. Uh, so, oftentimes with the working board, like you've got people that are wearing multiple hats and having to fulfill multiple roles and kind of whatever the organization needs at the time. Um, so, Bill, you were doing a lot of like the, the, the PR kind of communication stuff. So this is actually breaking for the first time in the Twin Cities Pride podcast. So if, if people like listen closely at the beginning of every episode, I say this is the new uh, Twin Cities Pride podcast and there's actually a specific reason uh, for that well actually for a while it was because it was like You know, it was new now. There's over hundred episodes But there's actually another reason and what I found out uh, talking to you bill at one point is that there was actually an old TC <laughs> Pride podcast at one point. Yep, that's right I uh, I did a podcast for Twin Cities Pride
1: and we only made it about five or six episodes in distributed it through you know Apple on iTunes I can't remember what year that was. I don't know, David, if you remember. I remember it was the year we did the volunteer party out at Nora's uh because I set up with my recorder out there and Nora's restaurant has been long gone. Now it was over by Lake Lake uh on um on Lake Street.
0: Yeah. So, so for people listening to Bill uh so Bill is referring to to uh to David's like uh capacity to remember like like details like crazy, I right? So
2: say that was
0: 2000 Two thousand
3: ish i remember from it it, it was uh, relatively new uh, podcasts were something that i believe apple started yeah. and it was relatively new then and so then we kind of wanted to jump on the bandwagon for that it was
1: a little later than 2000 because apple came out with the ipod in 2001 and the ipod um, podcasting was a few years later so it was probably more like three or four but still I, I had gotten a fancy microphone for my birthday and wanted to put it to use. And that's why I wanted it because everybody's doing these podcasts and it's a cool and hip thing to do. And it's like, we should be on the forefront of this cause we want to project, you know, a youthful forward thinking organization. And so
0: it's much like whatever the hot technology of the day is whenever, you know, people should also know about building you're fairly tech techy and yeah. geeky and right. So yeah, this was back when like podcasting, RSS feeds, all that stuff was just kind of getting yeah. some traction. Yeah, exactly.
1: And we did some RSS feeds on our website, too. Um, And that was... Mostly my efforts at the time, but I was doing all of that along with our general PR work um, until we got uh, some a new position created to handle advertising. I took care of all of our advertising as well, Um, and the Pride Guide production. I oversaw that whether it was either an in-house project or done through an external vendor, it was still I was the one project managing it. So it was a lot of hats. And then um, you know, if we were short a board member in one position or another, which invariably seemed to be always. Um, then those duties were added
0: on because we all had to kind of share the load. Yeah. You also mentioned the uh the, the Pride Guide, which so this year, I mean as long as I've been around, this is this is my first Pride Guide that I've ever seen. Uh but uh, there's uh, there was actually another in magazine form. In, in magazine form, right. So there was there was actually another uh Pride Guide at at some point and uh and I understand you had, you had some of the details uh on that.
2: Oh yeah, um Capital City Pride. Capital City Pride yeah, they um
0: so this was a whole separate pride organization at the time
2: pride organization they formed in the late 90s and by the time bill and i came on the board we were committed to helping helping them out they had found themselves in financial straits and i as fund development director and you as pr we put together this thing where we held an event at club metro which was a a, a a community bar that was in St. Paul back in the day. They're no longer there, unfortunately. Um, they, um, you know, was one of the biggest fundraisers we'd ever put together at that time. You know, Channel 9 came out and covered it. And um, at the end of the day, though, um, they decided to go with a model where they hired out a lot of their operations. So they were t- spending a lot more money than they had even with our help, and uh, so they, they eventually folded. As part of that, um, they had gone to the Secretary of State's office and, and filed the trademark paperwork for the term Pride Guide. Keep in mind, we'd been producing a Pride Guide for several years before that, so why they would have done that, well, I don't know. But they, um, they opted to give that trademark to uh, a particular local publication, um, as part of uh, settling up their uh, their debts, um, I guess it was in lieu of cash, um, which led to some legal trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, well, legal
0: a touch of controversy, I guess.
2: A touch of controversy in the community, um, and it was eventually settled out of court. And you know, we retained we retained that trademark. Um, but it was it was a it was hard fought. There were a lot of hard feelings on both sides of the of the uh, of the conflict and even within the organ even within the pride board there were there were people with varying opinions but after that happened um, we basically found ourselves in the position where we had to produce it ourselves just to protect the intellectual property there wasn't another publisher that would take on its production so it was either us or nobody so that's when bill started putting together uh, a team to produce the first pride produced pride guide
1: that was in 2001 was the first year we produced it in-house and it largely occurred in my basement yeah, so in, literally in-house as in yeah. your house your is house. in my house <laughs> right 2001 the theme was a pride odyssey i know it's laughable today but it seemed smart at the time um, it, we did some great branding with it. Um, anyway, uh, so we pr- I hired, um, on behalf of Pride, uh, an art director and uh, a production artist, a copy editor, a team of four copywriters, and we assigned them editorial pieces. We did one on the history of Pride. We did a bunch of other pieces that were current for that time. And we produced a hundred and some odd page, glossy, full-color magazine that was perfect bound, Thirty-five thousand copies—way better than anything that our contracted-out partners had done the years before—and it was it was on. pretty impressive. But we did lose our shirts on it. Yeah, I understand. It was a highly profitable endeavor. Yeah, right. We 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 lost we lost a good chunk of money on it, but we did consider it an investment at the time um, because it did serve a, a good. Uh, you know, public service to have all of that content out there, and our budget ac- accounted for it. So the loss didn't create a crisis. It was an expense that we were we were willing to incur going into it. And each year we did it, um, we performed better financially until. About the time when we stopped doing it was pretty much break-even territory, <laughs> but, uh, you know. We were getting
2: good at it. We decided, I mean, it was one of those things that it was burning us out. The team was changing,
1: and the new team that wound us coming in wanted to do something a little different, and that's great.
2: I don't think people understand the demands, even though it's just once a year. Putting together that, those Pride Guides was basically a six to nine month effort, as far as, you know, contacting your advertisers, there's the whole getting the sponsors on board, there's getting the, con, you know, the getting the ads from the advertisers in a timely fashion, and where they're going to go in the book, and, you know, you got to get some content in there because it's not all about the advertising, and, you know. The festival teams got to put together their stuff for their, for the for the book, and the parade has to do theirs, and it's you know. And
1: the art director that I hired was one of my colleagues from uh, from the ad agency, who turned out to be quite the perfectionist, which is awesome, but that meant that there were a lot of all nighters as the deadline to go
0: to print. Uh, approached
2: I still have the circles under my eyes to prove it <laughs> so,
0: yeah so you mentioned how much work it is to put together something like this so this would be a great time to shout out uh, the guys at the growler and the dabbler who who do the pride uh, guide now uh, so thank you to them of course so uh, they, did a,
2: they did a great job you know
0: bill Bill and I went to
2: the picnic this year that was the first time we had seen it and we were both just like oh look they're
1: doing it again yes I was so and happy it, to it, see it, that It was awesome
2: you know being a former pride board member it was a moment of pride i think for both of us to see that and it's just like oh great they're you know they're they're picking up the baton again and, and running with it and i was very glad to see that yeah. what's,
0: what's it like for you eric to like to see this stuff uh sort of sort of re, reinvigorated you know as, as being involved with uh the the organization now like what what what's it like for you to see uh sort of those seeds that were planted kind of coming to fruition and, and doing uh you know great work in the community now
3: well, uh, you know, I was really happy to see that we actually had a uh, an actual book uh, this year, uh, a magazine for the Pride Guide. Um, it was it brought back memories from when we used to have that, and um, you know, while we you know we winged it a few years to do some sort of guide or map, um, we did the. The fold-up ones with the you know the hard covers on the outside um, that kind of folded up like a the Z card, yeah, that was pretty neat. And uh, um, you know we we did various things to get by through the years, um, but then we were able to um, kind of get things aligned in the right way. We didn't necessarily need to use um, internal uh, uh, staff and time to get this one done. We found that this partnership worked well. And it it was it turned out great, and it was great to see something that we can deliver to the public um, in a, with a, with a quality amount of information, you know, in it. So. Yeah, and so I wanted
0: to ask you guys specifically too um, about you know how how the so that's that's kind of the world that you, that you all kind of walked into, right? So how how would you say that the world has changed or the community has changed? Um, maybe what are your thoughts on some of the challenges that the community is facing right now and maybe the direction that, I mean, just, just based on that historical context, not not in the sense that, you know, we were there so we know everything, but just sort of like having that that historical context, um, what do you think maybe are some of the, the solutions to some of the problems that might exist in the community right now or just in general some of the ways the community has changed?
3: Um, I put my hand up because I'd like to start with this one. Um, well, <laughs> Uh, being with Pride for so long, and what I've seen throughout the years is, um, uh, I think it, you know, it might be time for me to step down within a few years as well. And um, that's the the point of all this is we've had, you know, I, I think it's been about 18 years since I've been involved in Pride, and throughout that time, we've had so many wonderful people step in and volunteer and put in their hard uh, work and time to this organization. And we still need that. The best way we can grow and become a great organization is to have those volunteers. We need those volunteers. We need new ideas, um, uh, you know, and new passion. Um,
0: not, not that all of the old ideas were necessarily terrible.
3: Not at all. I mean, uh, we. We
1: need a fresh coat of paint and a new take on them. You know, they might be the same core values, but new ways to put them into action
3: a new point of view um, and uh, you know sometimes the the old-timers need to just sit back and <laughs> need to just sit back and just say hey this is how we did it before you know you, you may want to try it again if you'd like but this is the kind of the struggles we ran into before and so yeah I, th- I, I would like to see more people coming in and saying hey what can I do for you um, and if they don't know what they can do, just stop in at a meeting sometime. You know, uh, for your prof- most of our staff and volunteers and board, we all have professional jobs in a professional life where this is what we do. I do IT as a profession, and then I bring that skill set to Pride. You know, and so as a volunteer, and so that is something that you can do as well if you're willing to volunteer and spend some time. Yeah. And,
1: and Bill,
0: you said you brought a lot of your, your skills in as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eric and I both worked at the same company in the IT department there. And so we I brought a lot of that to Pride. I, I'm a software developer by trade today. And I actually got my teeth cut in software development working on a volunteer project for Twin Cities Pride that ultimately led to my career. So I really have Pride to thank for pretty much everything um, but I wanted to echo what Eric said about the volunteers you know that this is truly a volunteer based organization and that it, it survives or dies on the strength of its volunteers it has always been the case and one of the biggest challenges with keeping an organization like this sustained over the long term one of our biggest challenges during the time that we sat on the board was recruiting new board and staff members to take the place of those who were ready to step down and it was a constant effort that never felt like we could quite succeed entirely at it and uh, that is the one thing that makes it so much harder to keep these things going. So for anybody out there, if you're looking for a way to get involved in something, this is a great opportunity. Uh, Twin Cities Pride had such a fantastic uh, impact on my life. I wouldn't be the person I am today if not for all of those years. Friends that have lasted a lifetime, in fact, I'm getting married this fall and David here is going to be my best man. So, yeah. And if it wouldn't have been for our time together at Pride, we probably wouldn't have been very close at all, you know. So you never know who you're going to meet. You might be the person you spend the rest of your life with or it could be your new best friend or just a whole new circle of friends.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure I'm Not sure what I can add to that. I mean, as far as, you know, kind of your original question as far as, um, you know, what the board is facing now as opposed to what we were facing, you know, back in the Stone Age. Um... <laughs> um I Um I look at the 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 issues that face the community and face the board as part of the community and you know I know I know they've taken some some heat and some flack for some of the decisions that they've made but it's just like at the end of the day they you know they're coming at it with a good heart and they're making the best decisions they can in the moment and yeah d- there are going to be mistakes made we're, we were not perfect in our time I think we stepped our toes more than once uh, sometimes very very publicly
1: and the best way to you know make the change you want is to get involved yeah. Yeah, I forget who it was that said it but it's very true you know the, the world is run by those who show up and if, if you want to make Pride be something different or better in whatever you think that might be, then get involved. The person who complains at home alone or to his friends and doesn't do anything is probably
0: gonna stay frustrated. Yeah, and Things don't always change overnight. Like, like you said, Eric, things sometimes they take a long time to change, and you've, witnessed some, and you've witnessed some of that.
3: Exactly, I mean, it's just like um, voting. You know, you go out to vote to make a difference, to make a change. And um, if you want to see change in your community, if you don't like something that we did previously, come on. Well, first off, we want to know about it. We want to hear your opinions and thoughts about it. But at the same time, we want you to help um, facilitate that change because we can't read your mind. Um, it's, it would be amazing if you would come and help us.
0: And so for non board members, maybe people that aren't as involved with the organization, but that might be out there listening to the podcast and might be curious about how things were like in general back then. I understand you guys maybe had like a couple interesting stories or anecdotes just kind of share about how things used to be back, like you said, in the stone age when you were adjusting. Uh, right. So yeah, I mean, what would you guys like to let people know about maybe some of that?
1: All right. Um, we had, oh, here's a great story. Um, this story of how Gene Tretter had a, a short term as our chair. Oh <laughs> so there's this wonderful fellow named uh, Gene Nicholas Tretter. He was part of the very first Pride uh, protest march that took place in the Twin Cities back in June 1972. I can remember that because it's the year I was born. And um, so I'm the same age as Pride. It was always easy for me to remember how old Pride is. Anyway, uh, Gene uh, continued to stay involved and still does to a certain extent. And at the time, he attended our board meetings on and off. We were having our annual election process where we were electing who our new chair and vice chair and everybody else is going to be. And it came down to the decision for chair, which I think we called president or something like that at the time and uh it came down to a tie i can't remember the exact vote but it was something like three for person a and three for person b and one spoiled ballot so we did it again and we did it again and we did it again and it was getting late and everybody was getting pretty pissy and so we decided wow, but
2: this is this is when I, I my role as secretary i often also served as the parliamentarian for the board so i consulted our bylaws which we've
0: recently rewritten and which is kind of your passion you're That's kind of geeky passion. about all the stuff
2: I am, I am a political scientist uh by training so uh, actually i moved to minnesota to go to the humphrey school um at the u and um so i have a passion for public service which is one of the reasons i joined the board um hauled out robert's rules of order which i still have the copy and it is remarkably dog-eared i mean it got
0: abused I still have the actual copy that was used in the meeting. I
2: do. It yeah. should
1: go to the archives. <laughs> it, should go, it should go
2: to the archives. But uh, and we made the determination that um, we needed to appoint an interim chair. So Gene was kind of the one neutral party in the room. So he got
1: it. and he wasn't a voting member so of the board, so he number. didn't have a dog in the election fight. And, and sir, you know,
2: the chair and the secretary have a, a strong working relationship because you're generating the minutes of the meetings and you know helping with the agenda, and they're, they're the ones actually running the thing. Gene decided to punish us all because we couldn't come up with the chairs. Like, if I have to serve as acting chair, I'm going to run these meetings with the strictest possible interpretation of Robert's rules you can possibly imagine.
1: To goad us into solving our problem yeah, as fast to, as possible. Yeah, you, know, you
2: need to you need to make up your minds, or there will be pain. And
0: and which is this whole conspiracy theory. That's kind of the whole idea of Robert's rules of order.
2: Uh, well, one wonders. You know, <laughs> does that make me a sadist uh, or a masochist? I guess it could be one or the other. Um, and, and and it helped. It helped. It was also probably the the best run meeting under Robert's rules of order that the Pride Board has ever held before or since. Because he, you know, I've got 30 years of parliamentary experience. I'm only like 44. He's got more. He had more then. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it came to a quick conclusion, and uh, there was a there was a changing of the guard. And um, but yeah, that, that was one of the more interesting times certainly uh, for the Pride Board with without a with a with an acting chair.
0: And what uh, and what mementos do you have, Eric? Either either physically, like something that that was actually used at that time, or 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 in your head from from those days.
3: Well, um, you know, a lot of times um, it's easy to remember the bad things, and it's hard to remember the good things. Um, but rather than uh, focus on something that was really bad, uh, probably something that I probably couldn't talk about anyway because it might involve certain <laughs> parties and whatnot, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, but uh, you know. We 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 set up outside. We're highly contingent on the weather. You know, everything has to happen um, outside, and we can't just you know pull up a tent over the entire park if it gets stormy. One one year, um, we used to. Um, so, for those of you who are new to Pride, um, we have our operations center kind of on the the east end of the park, and um, year. For quite a few years, we had our opera- operation center in the middle of the park by the uh, round flower garden. Um, we used that small fixed building, and you know, added some other stuff to it. Um, but anyway, we had um, a ginormous storm roll through. I think it was um, either the Friday or the Saturday. Um, Saturday of two thousand four. See, so he's good. He remembers. Now, it's impressive, it really is. If you know where the uh, fields are, where they do soccer and all that kind of stuff. Um, we had such a heavy downpour that um, the water was probably between your knee and your hip. It was that deep, in that, just in that soccer field area. And um, yeah, and we were, we were all huddled inside of that little building, um, all the staff. Um, and this is not just the Pride staff that attends the meetings, this is the additional staff for festival setup, um, fanfare attraction staff. All that stuff. We were all huddled in this tiny little building waiting out the storm. Um, So, yeah, that is one of the most memorable, I remember.
2: Yeah, I remember that year specifically because, as, as I recall, we had a tornado warning, which is very unusual for downtown Minneapolis. So we had to bring everyone in, and it was kind of this chaotic, this beautiful, chaotic display of, ballet of golf carts moving around the park and almost hitting each other and you know we're coming into the coming into that park building and and just it it, it, it's it's an indelible image for me even now almost 15 years later I'm I'm just like
3: it it's kind of burned in my brain well and half of them have canopies and the other half don't and and so the ones that didn't you know they're scrambling to try and get out of the rain and and yeah, it was it was chaos.
0: Yeah. So, so Eric said, you know, it, it's often more fun to, like you don't want to sit and remember all of the bad times, but you, you mentioned, Bill, that like, you know, some of the friends you made, you know, that, that friendship, that camaraderie, that brotherhood uh, or sisterhood, what have you, is often formed like around shared adversity, right? And so like, there were certainly some challenges that, that you guys had along the way, and not, not not to dwell too long on some of the bad things, but, but maybe what would come to mind is, is like maybe a couple of those points um, in the history of the organization that you were involved. I got one. Um, what year was it that we did
1: um, the kissing ads, David? Uh, that's exactly what I was... That was also
2: 2004.
1: 2004. Okay, so yeah, that was a year from hell. Um, 2004, our theme was Dreaming Out Loud, and our ad had featured uh, the image of two men in a fairly platonic kiss, and one of our sponsors uh, for the block party that year, for which we had hired Sandra Bernhard and the Psychedelic Furs. Um, and they, the sponsor was the Star Tribune and that's our most of our marketing plan for the block party was centered around their, the, the ads we got with their sponsorship and for the festival too. But the block party was an expensive undertaking. The Pride doesn't do a block party anymore. And this is largely the story of why. Um, <laughs> and so... The Star Tribune rejected our ad as not meeting their standards because it showed men kissing. Now this is 2004, so you know, times are different, we're different. And we decided after having an emergency board meeting that we were going to stick to our guns we were not going to submit new advertising and we were going to say that this is proper and correct and this is the image that we want to display and it does not violate your standards and you can please run our ad and they said no and we knew they would and so we didn't get any of our ads run and we took an absolute bloodbath financially on the block party because it was stormy one of the tents blew over the fence and into marquette avenue during the setup but we got it back the event went off pretty pretty fine without much of a hitch by the time the gates opened but there weren't many people there because not many people knew about it we didn't really have advertising mediums like Facebook then. I think Facebook existed, but it wasn't anything like it is today. It
3: was MySpace back then. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, so advertising free.
1: was paid and through our own website, and that was about it, really. Um, so that was a real tough one, but I'm proud of what we did. I'm proud that we chose to take a financial loss, an almost certain financial loss, by doing the right thing and not submitting to the discrimination that the star tribune wanted us to wanted us to to engage in and eventually we came to a good agreement the next year they were a sponsor they took our ads and they've been as far as i'm aware a good friend of pride ever since
2: and you know yeah, that was the year we took the between the the advertising of the lock party that year and the the storm that we mentioned we it was it was a $100,000 loss give or take um so 2005 I believe the year that year's
1: theme was uh liberation in progress it was a construction theme
2: construction theme so that was the year where the board really had to to hunker down it was just like you know we were having to, you know, work out arrangements with some of our vendors to make sure that the bills were getting paid and that we weren't going to fall too, too far behind. And we knuckled under. We got, you know, worked with our sponsors,
1: got some new sponsors. Um, we got out of the block party business. We got out of the block party business. Because we realized that the saloon and the Eagle, and there may have been other parties back then, they do a fantastic job running their block parties, or whatever they call it. It may not be called a block party, but it's still a block party. And that we decided, you know, philosophically, that Pride should do what Pride does best and that other people don't do. And that's the festival and the parade. And then the, th- the things that go along with directly supporting those things. Um, and the picnic as well, because that was the thank you event to the community.
0: And from the staff point of view, like what 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 was maybe like one or two, like what were maybe one or two of the times that the, you remember as maybe maybe a challenging moment in the organization's history since you've been involved? Um, you know, every year there were challenges. Um, we were I mean, just just as long as I've been involved, really. I mean, the last few years there's been. I mean, there's always challenges, right?
3: Absolutely, and, you know. And we were always trying to uh, jumpstart a lot of technology features. Um, I know. Um, yeah, Wi-Fi in the park, that kind of
0: thing. Um, Which
3: is sponsored now by Comcast,
0: right? Thank you very much. Thank you, Comcast.
3: <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so I ourselves. I do I do I do remember one thing. I was working with Matt Shaw. Um, he uh, um, uh, left Pride, a, a, I think, about five years ago now. Moved to Dallas. Moved to Dallas. Um, he, uh, he Well, he didn't leave Pride. Technically, he's still um, doing um, some clerical stuff for us, some managerial things. Um, but um, I was working with him and we wanted to make the uh, stage kiosks, you know, something better. Something better than a, a big A-frame sandwich board with a, a pre-printed thing that gets stuck to it um, that, you know, lets them see where they're going and that kind of thing. So we tried to do digital kiosks and so we made a big enclosure for some TVs that were donated to us from Best Buy, thank you Best Buy. Um, they yep they uh
1: i said i wrote the software for it we built a little system to run on them and embedded some mac minis inside those kiosks
3: yeah um and everything worked great but again with the challenges of being outdoors what happened is everything got too hot and so we were kind of like okay well things are shutting down because there's you know special protection um, things in the computer and the TV because it got too hot. It was sitting out in the Sun uh, And so we th- they were thinking okay Well, let's put this in storage, you know, and you know when we start for next year We'll think about some cooling for these kiosks and and uh, you know after a while of you know failed attempts and trying to you know other things and that we were trying just didn't work like okay, well, is it worth putting the money and effort into this, or just moving on to some other new technology? And um, we didn't necessarily find a replacement for that. And you know, maybe someday we'll have some fun digital kiosks again, um, because we are in a new, newer, modern era where that's a little easier now. Um, but yeah, that was one of the one of the main things I remember.
2: But don't go knocking those sandwich boards. I mean, back when we started, we would have killed for those sandwich
1: boards to put stuff up on.
2: We didn't even have that. I made
1: them in my
0: garage. (laughs) That was all in-house,
1: too, then. Yeah. yeah. A
2: lot of in-house stuff.
1: And then we got them printed, these giant um, color print media on them. It was a big park map on one side. And on the flip side, it had the schedule for the stage that that sandwich board was sitting in front of. And we printed them at work at the ad agency because we had the giant large format there with permission... And then we just had to take them down and pay to have them laminated. And they they were just wooden sandwich boards and they stapled them on there. It got the job done. But before we had those, there was nothing. So, you know, it was better than that. (laughs) But they weighed like 70 pounds a piece. They were really hard to move around.
3: And these TV kiosks were even way heavier than that. We equipped them with A, the TV, all the uh, enclosure were um, plywood and two by fours and that adds up in a hurry and then of course we put in a little personal ups inside it in case we lost power it would run on that battery backup so yeah that w- which, which are
0: no good if the circuit breakers go and they shut up because of the heat
3: right. exactly yeah yeah <laughs> oh and another thing is um we used to have to get um internet um a really Kind of funny, old-fashioned way to the main building that we had for operations um, back in the day. Um, the the large building on the I believe it's the east corner of the park. Uh, we were able to get DSL installed in there for, um, and we would just pay for a month. Um, and um, we in we had to run an Ethernet line from that building down to the other building, that smaller one. In
0: actual the, physical line, you were saying?
3: Yep, actual physical line. And so. Um, I was up in the trees for about three or four years we did this, could have been longer, um, and basically we ran these lines through the trees. Uh, where there wasn't, wasn't trees, uh, we ran it in the bushes along the, uh, the pond, um, and I also had to use um, electric fence wire um, as guide wire to prevent the Ethernet cables from stretching and breaking for those long runs.
1: And that allowed us to update our website from the park which was huge. as There was no such thing as iPhones and stuff like that when we were doing this stuff. Um, so we were able to make changes to our website while the festival was underway, which was a huge benefit to us.
2: So also let us uh, keep track of weather radar because being an outdoor event, you kind of want to keep your eye on stuff. And, you know, it, it actually came in handy. Like, I think, did we have it in '04? I know we had it after '04, So it's just like every year after that that storm we talked about we we always have the weather radar up on one monitor somewhere in operations to keep an eye on you know is there something going to hit
3: us we need to you know bring everyone in which
0: at the time was like sci-fi futuristic cutting-edge technology right
3: well and one other thing too is um do you guys all remember telephone booths pay um, pay phones telephone yeah Um, there
0: was one. What is this booth of which you speak.
3: This, this booth was uh, kind of in the vicinity of the garden, uh, the, the flower garden. And um, that's actually where we had got um, DSL installed. We, we had uh, telephone DSL service um, brought to that telephone booth. And then we'd get the. Um,
1: Open the pedestal and pull
3: the cables out of it. <laughs> yeah, we'd get the telephone company to tell us what pair of wires we needed to hook up our DSL modem to. And, uh, you know, when that kind of thing was on the outs in the park, that's when I had to start running all that line from the main other building on the corner down to the middle.
0: And there was something else uh, pretty significant that happened uh, under your guys' watch uh, regarding the naming of the parade. Yes. Um,
1: you, as you might know, the parade is called the Ashley Rooks JLBT Pride Parade. Ashley Rooks was our parade director from some point in time i don't know when she started until she passed away in 1999 um and she passed away just a few weeks before that year's pride festival which was hugely impactful on everybody involved in putting it all together uh as she was uh Disabled, transgendered woman, uh, and she took our parade from being a ragtag group of a couple of units, you know, marching their way down Hennepin Avenue into a fairly professionally run 300-unit parade that grew to be the largest parade of any kind in the city of Minneapolis, eclipsing by a significant margin the Aquatennials Parades. Um, And so we were super proud of her, and we missed her so much uh, that uh, shortly thereafter uh, we made a proposal and the board accepted it to permanently name the parade in her honor.
2: Yeah, and actually the parade's how I got started as a volunteer in 97. I I seem to remember it was like three marshals and Ashley Rooks on her little tricycle. It wasn't so little, but it was, 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 you know, red tricycles, kind of, you know, the the Pee Wee Herman bike, kind of like that with tassels on the handlebars and the whole nine yards. And um, actually, the, the year that she passed, that year's parade, we had actually gotten a sponsorship from Saturn at the time, and what we did to, to honor her as best we could was members of the board drove near the front of the parade, because the, 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 the dikes on bikes are always first, we were right behind them, and we were driving the cars in a missing man formation, which was the best that we could do to, you know, with, with cars, you know, to to try and honor uh, honor her memory. But she um,
1: she, and was, she was she was in the parade too as a riderless. that was pulled or someone on a trailer or something. Yes. Yes. So yeah, that was
2: Ashley. But, God, I still miss her. You know, she, was a, she was a character and a half.
0: And then another thing about uh, the people that, that I've gotten to know uh, through Twin Cities Pride is that most people are on the board because they're go-getters <laughs> and, they're, and are, are involved with the staff because they're go-getters. They're involved in multiple facets uh, of the community, in multiple sub-communities of the community. And uh, you guys are no different. Yep, that's definitely
1: true. Uh, shortly after I uh, finished my tour of service with Twin Cities Pride, I got involved with a newly forming nonprofit called the North Star Kennel Club here in the Twin Cities, and that is part of the puppy community, which is a subset of the larger leather and BDSM community. It has nothing to do with actual dogs. It has to do with uh, um, uh, uh, anthropomorphic animal play basically Um, so we like to dress around like dogs hop around on all fours and relieve ourselves of some stress while chasing balls and rolling around and tumbling and acting like we're four years old it's a lot of fun Um, so the North Star Kennel Club formed uh, in 2014 and I helped organize that along with about 12 other people using my experience from Twin States Pride on you know what is articles of incorporation and bylaws and stuff
2: I seem to to recall you asked for some help from from a certain former secretary of the Pride Board yeah Yeah. so and then of course you know much much as with Pride um, about two years after they formed I became a member of the Kennel Club and you know start of 2017 got onto their to their board and quickly moved up the ranks from you know co- chairing one of their event committees to being the secretary to now I've once
3: again succeeded him as chair. And I am not um, a member um, but I, I enjoy hearing some of the stories and and that kind of thing and um, um, I also wanted to add that um, if you do want to volunteer for Pride you don't necessarily have to be quote-unquote, a go-getter. Um, I, I've always known myself as being, being an introvert. And so, um, you know, you don't have to be, um, you know...
0: Everyone has different skill sets that they can contribute, yeah.
3: Exactly, and you don't have to be, you know, type A, loud and proud kind of person, too. I mean, basically, if you give a damn, if you give a damn about the community and you want to help, that's awesome, yeah. you know.
0: And so, and so we've talked about where Pride has been, where Twin Cities Pride has been, um, over the past number of years, we've we've talked about the past. I also wanted to touch briefly on, on the future. So uh, next year, so not to confuse people, but this year, because of the way the weekends landed in June, like Pride was like a week earlier than, than it normally is. So next year, it's going to be that way, but intentionally. Um, so World Pride is actually taking place next year in New York. It's, it's the first time on American soil, I believe. Um, and that's put together by, by InterPride. Yes. Um, which is, well, here, why don't one of you tell people about Interpride?
2: Interpride is the, the international organization of pride organizers. So, like, Twin Cities Pride was, I believe, a founding member of the organization along with San Francisco, uh, New York, Heritage of Pride, who's putting on World Pride, um, and a couple of other organizations. Atlanta and Boston. Atlanta and Boston, thank you.
0: Um,
2: not so up on their history. Um, it's been a while. Um
0: it's okay, there's only so much room up there. It seems like you so remember a lot though.
2: And you know, and um, actually part of my pride career uh, was with Interpride. So I was not only doing all of this stuff here locally, but starting from my first international conference with them in nineteen ninety nine until two thousand and four, I served as their parliamentarian. In two thousand and four they thought I had something and uh, wound up becoming um, a vice president of operations for that organization for four years, and then um, that was the year that in 2008 my term ended there, and I had a choice of either becoming chair here or running for president, co-president of Enterprise, and I opted to uh, to to stay and do the, the to do the local thing, which was probably the, the, the better idea at the you know, looking at it. In the past, but um, and I did a lot of the same work with them that I did here. As far as uh, I've helped them, you know, reorganize themselves, become a bit more structured. Uh, And uh, the uh, speaking of World Pride, I actually helped write the rules that the bids are considered under and the licenses are granted under.
1: No big deal, right? (laughs) That's pretty cool. And also with Interpride, uh, we hosted the annual conference here in Minneapolis in 2005 after one false attempt, or a failed attempt at trying to win the bid, and then the second time we were successful. The first time we were bidding in 2001, and it was in Auckland, New Zealand, so we had to fly to Auckland, and we made our presentation, and it just had our misfortune of that taking place a month after 9-11 and the, the day that the United States began military action in Afghanistan was the day that we made our pitches, and there was a very anti-American um, attitude among the delegates assembled, and we didn't have a chance in hell. But two years later, I think it was, we made an, took another crack at it, and we did win the bid that year. In
2: 01, Montreal won the conference bid in 03, so what did we do? In 03, we went to Montreal. And bid for the two thousand and five conference.
0: So the conference happens what every?
2: It's an annual. It's an annual conference, but they always bid it two years out because th- there is quite a bit of preparation that needs to go into that. And there's there's a much like with World Pride, there is a site visit ahead of time to make sure everything, you know, the facilities are in order and you know your plans are coming together. And um, so yeah, just
1: like the Olympics,
2: uh, actually, or the World Cup. That's actually I mean much smaller scale, obviously, but yeah.
1: We did. Uh, we did. It was. Four days was it,
2: David? Thursday
1: through, Sunday. Thursday through Sunday. We'd have five simultaneous tracks of workshops that were available to all the delegates, squeezed in with plenary sessions, which is where InterPride does the business of InterPride, like selecting who that's going to host the conference in two years out, who or if they're going to do a World Pride in the next period and stuff like that. And we hosted it at the Marriott City Center in downtown Minneapolis, and we did uh, social events. We took them to a formal dinner. Um, at Windows on Minnesota at the top of the IDS and we did uh, we did a mayor's reception at City Hall uh, where you know Mayor Ryback was new and he and he uh, welcomed all of our delegates and we had you know light hors d'oeuvres and things like that we did a reception over at the University of Minnesota at the Anders Elmer Anderson Library which is the uh, where all of the many of the LGBT archives of the local community are, are housed.
2: I suppose Oh, I said glitter just because that, that, that dinner at Windows on Minnesota. Long Beach Pride has this tradition of, of making an entrance, and, and, and that year was no exception. They came in and showered glitter on everyone, and it, 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 was, it was funny at the time, and then we got the bill for the cleaning of the carpet afterwards. So, yeah, not so much.
3: I remember um, putting or uh, helping with that bid. Um, we were doing a video for that um, to be shown in Montreal. And um, uh,
1: mm-hmm. we made a series of six videos to, to bid on it and then another six to promote it after we won. And you posted them on YouTube, right? There was no YouTube. There was no YouTube.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, at the time, uh, Deja Love was uh, a member of Pride or uh, with, the, with the Pride committee. And um, and she was the host. And uh, so I remember um, filming her at the various bars and whatnot to to showcase the 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 nightlife.
0: And so so really the a big part of, of doing this interview was to kind of show that that, the, you know, like I like I started this with, you know, the old white like, says gay guys used to run Twin Cities Pride aren't like bad guys. You know, they did the best they could with what they had and the experience they had at the time. Um, so thank you all very much for, you know, for sharing your time and, and, uh, and, and, your, and your memories, um, with, with the community here, uh, real quickly, cause I know we have to wrap up, uh, maybe what's one last thing you'd kind of like to leave people with one last thing you'd like to say to the community. Um, cause I'm sure we'll probably touch base with all of you again.
1: Awesome. Uh, Yeah, I would like to just remind everybody that, you know, the Pride Festival and the Pride organization, it is your organization. It's not owned by anybody. It's owned by the community and that it desperately needs your help to get involved. Without the regular constant support of the overall community, it's going to have a difficult time achieving its mission. And so... I just encourage everybody out there to get a little bit more involved, take some ownership, and and see how you can maybe help make it a little bit better.
2: And I'll second that. You know, it, it was an adventure. It was an adventure. It really was. And you know, I'm a different person today than I was in you know '98 when I walked into that community center for the first time and said, "Hey, you know, I'm interested." And um, you know, it, it just remember that it is your organization at the end of the day. So if you want to get involved, if you see something that they're not doing that you want to see them do, they're doing something you don't want to see them do, get involved. It's easy to sit at the bar and opine about what's wrong in the community or what's wrong with pride or what's wrong in the world. Own a little bit of it. And you know, get out there and do something.
0: Wow. And Eric, you're still formally involved. What would you like to leave people with?
3: Um, just the um, the fact that I never planned on this. I I had no idea I would be with the organization this long. I thought hey, I'd just give it a shot, see how it works out, and I ended up liking it. Um, I uh, cherish the the friendships um, and the experiences I've had, and. Um, I encourage anybody to go ahead and just give it a try. I mean, this isn't a you know a huge commitment that you have to make. Um, all you got to do is set foot in the door and attend a meeting and just see what you think. You know.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, and I'm sure we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The TC Pride Podcast is a production of the nonpod nonprofit podcast community and Twin Cities Pride. Subscribe now on iTunes, on Android, or by email at tcpridepodcast.org. Because we're in this together, NonPod turns your email newsletter, blog, or video content into a more powerful, more personal, more intimate, on demand listening experience. Your podcast, your story, your voice, simplified, amplified. amplified. Learn more now at nonpod.com.